0: Great to be with you this morning. My name is Pastor Guy. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the church. It's my privilege to open the Bible with you this morning. I haven't been up here in a while, so it's really good to see all of you. Last Sunday, as you all were wondering about the ice and snow and the 100-year storm that was going to descend (laughs) upon you, I was at Disneyland with my grandchildren uh, smugly... Thinking, by the providence of God, I'm in the sunshine right now, and everybody up there is suffering. I feel so horrible for them. Uh, Anyway, um, we had a great time, and I'm glad that it wasn't as bad here as it was predicted to be. I learned some interesting things at Disneyland. One thing which may surprise you is, I'm beginning to see that there are definite similarities between Disneyland and a cult group. So we're uh, gonna—that's—that's another message sometime that we'll get to. I also definitely uh, came to realize that it is a small world after all. Uh, That was imprinted upon my mind in a very strong sense. Uh, But I did have the opportunity to follow along with the sermons. I've been listening in on the Sundays when I'm not here, and I'm loving this study in Luke. I really appreciate Pastor Adam's emphasis on the fact that Luke is a highly crafted literary work in which everything connects. And we've been able to see that because we've been going slow enough to see how each story connects to the one before it and following it. And all of the stories that are presented to us in the Gospel of Luke are presented that we might see the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and the power of the Gospel. Amen? Isn't that really what this is about? So we might see Jesus... So we're going to open our Bible today. Raise your hand if you need a Bible and usher will give you one. When you grab that Bible, open up to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5 as we continue on this amazing journey through the Gospel of Luke. This morning, there are three stories in our text. Three stories. Each story is a picture of a life transformed by an encounter with Jesus Christ. So we don't have a three-point sermon today, we have a three-story sermon, all right? We're going to look at these stories, but remember this, when we look at stories in the Gospels and we see what happens in the lives of individuals, we're, we're looking at that and we're looking kind of through that to understand who is Jesus and what is the gospel. And we do that not just to study history, this isn't just a history lesson, we do it because Christ the living Lord who is risen and present in the midst of his church is the same Lord. So the gospel message, when we see what Christ does in the pages of scripture, we begin to understand what the living Christ wants to do in our hearts and lives right now. In other words, we see the glory of Christ as he is right now today. We hear the gospel message of Christ as it is right now today for our lives. So I want to encourage you as we read to pray a prayer and to say, God, show me your glory through these stories. A leper is cleansed. A paralytic is healed. A tax collector is called to follow Jesus. That's our journey today. So let's just dive right in. I'm going to take you through these stories. And as we do, we're going to look for the thread of truth. How do these stories connect? Why are they placed in the order that they are? Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. Now, while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, Lord, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and Jesus charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests, make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, The report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. One of the problems of reading the gospel stories is that as we become familiar with them, we can lose a sense of their drama. And you know, many of these stories appear in more than one gospel. So you're going to read the same story in Mark. Here you read this. Maybe you've read it many times. And so as we read, we go, I know that story. And then we just go past it. And we miss the drama. These three stories are incredibly dramatic and powerful. And the Holy Spirit wants to speak through them to your life today. Let me give you some words and phrases from this story that will sort of alert us to the drama that is before us. The first word is the word behold. And it's actually not in our English text. If you look at chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. But it actually doesn't say it exactly like that in the original, in the Greek text. It says... While he was in one of the cities, behold, a man filled with leprosy. And with that word behold, there's a theme now that is going to connect each of these stories through a thematic device, and that is the the device of seeing. He's in one of the cities, and look, look at Look over there. There's a man full of leprosy. When we get to the next story about the paralytic, talks about how the Pharisees and the scribes are there, and it says, and behold, that is in the English, and behold, there was a man on, on a mat, and he was being carried by his friends to be placed at the feet of Jesus. Behold. The next story, the calling of Levi, the tax collector, it says that Jesus beheld Levi. Jesus saw him. In one of the stories, the paralytic, at the end of the story, it says the people were amazed, overwhelmed, ecstatic because of what they saw. This language of seeing is important because it's an invitation for us, the reader, that we might open up the eyes of our imagination and and set ourselves in that story that we might see the leper, that we might see the paralytic, that we might see Levi as Jesus saw him. And as we see what's unfolding, we're going to see the glory of Jesus. So let's behold together as this story unfolds. The next phrase I want you to see is in the city. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of of leprosy. Now Jesus is in the city and that's kind of a key to why this story is so dramatic because the leper is not supposed to be in the city, right? You know that, right? The leper is not supposed to be in the city. He's not supposed to be in a village. He's not supposed to be around other people. And, and that's part of the reason why it says, behold, Jesus is in one of the cities and it's like, hey, hang on a minute. Look over there. There's a leper here. That guy's not supposed to be here in the city. There were strict rules placed upon those who had the disease of leprosy. In fact, I can read to you some of that from the book of Leviticus in chapter 13 in verse 45. So this will give you a little picture of what's so dramatic about this scene. It says in Leviticus 13 in verse 45, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let... The hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone, and his dwelling will be outside the camp. Now you know why it says, and behold, (laughs) there was an unclean man in the city. If they had an alarm system, the alarms would have been going off. This is not to happen. And yet it is happening. Here's this man. Is he desperate? Yes. Is he alone? Yes. Has he heard about Jesus? Absolutely. Here he is. Here's this dramatic encounter taking place. Now, the next word I want you to notice is the word clean. If you're willing you can make me clean. We just read in Leviticus the words unclean, right? If he's, he's unclean, he has this disease, he's unclean. Do you notice that the language around this episode is not the language of healing? It's actually the language of cleansing. Very important to understand the drama of what's happening. Clean and unclean, categories that we don't think of so often much of the rest of the world they do think in these categories we don't really use this type of terminology in our culture but the problem that they saw with this leprous man was not just that he had a disease and they were afraid of getting the disease though they are afraid of getting the disease there's something even beyond that he's unclean And a person who's unclean cannot worship, they cannot go to temple, they cannot be around the community, they're filled with shame, they cannot get a job, they're unemployed, they have no friends. I mean, this is devastation. And so leprosy actually was a symbol of sin and death. He's like the walking dead in his community. To them... He is like an extra from a zombie apocalypse movie. He's hauling himself into town, disheveled, flesh eaten away. The crowd is parting. Here he comes. Can you feel the dramatic tension of this story? It's unbelievable. Behold, take a look at it. See what's happening. Because you know why? Because in this moment we're going to see the glory of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. And that's why that story is here. And it's here for us. We might see these things. If you want to understand something about clean and unclean, because you might say, well, we don't have those categories in our world. But actually, we do. If you go home this afternoon, try this. Go out in your garden and take a shovel, a scoop of mud, open the door, come into your living room, Dump it on the living room carpet. (laughs) It's not going to go well. 20 feet away in the yard, that dirt is great. That's awesome. might be like the finest compost, mulch. I mean, you're going to grow something. That's awesome, right? Because it's in the right place. Just transfer it a few feet and put it over here on the carpet. That's in the wrong place. And Cleansing activities will promptly begin to take place. Go to your cupboard in your kitchen, open the cupboard, pull out some plates, and find some juicy worms in on your dishware. Unclean, unclean. If that was 10 feet away out in the yard, that'd be totally fine, but not here, right? Clean and unclean has to do with boundaries. The boundaries that define life. And God defined boundaries in the Old Testament in which some of them indicated that you're entering into the realm of actually decay and death. The person shows up and they're covered from head to toe with a skin disease. That's a boundary. That's a huge boundary. It's danger. Now it says he was filled with leprosy. We know that leprosy, what we call leprosy today is a certain kind of skin disease. We know that in the Old Testament, leprosy referred to many different kinds of skin diseases. It could have been just a big rash or something like that. But indeed, it may have been what we today call leprosy, Hansen's disease, which is a nervous disorder and actually leads to disfigurement. It's a horrific disease. And um, it could have been that. Why? Well, because it says he was filled with leprosy. This isn't a minor case. This guy is like the maximum case of leprosy. And he comes into town and people just take a step back. For some reason, when I read this story, I began to think about an encounter that I had in my life in ministry with a group called the Gypsy Jokers, this biker gang. And I don't know, it just it came to me because of the response of our church and the reaction of people to their presence in our midst. Now, the Gypsy Joker biker gang, if you don't know the story, is one of the most notorious and violent biker gangs in the world. They were formed in, like, 1956 on April Fool's Day in San Francisco, where they rivaled the Hell's Angels for about 10 years, and finally the Hell's Angels drove them out from San Francisco. And where did they move? Anyone know where they moved? they moved to Oregon. You guys are saying Portland because you're from here. (laughs) They actually moved to Oregon and they were all over Oregon, but there was a huge contingency of them in Southern Oregon. Okay, so about 10 years after they moved here, my wife and I moved to Southern Oregon to plant a church. So we started this little church. We had about 30 people meeting in this church. And a woman named Lisa came to our church and She received Christ as her Lord and Savior, and her life was transformed. This was the wife of the head of the gypsy, joker, biker gang in Southern Oregon, centered in Gold Hill. So, because his wife had come to Christ, Rojo, the head, decided, I better go to this church and see what's going on down there. So, Rojo came, and because Rojo came, he was the head of the biker gang, a bunch of his biker gang buddies came with him. Now, I want you to picture this scene. I have brought my wife from Southern California to Southern Oregon to start this church, and the next thing you know, we have a notorious violent biker gang worshiping with us. And they would always come late, so we would be worshiping. We're just, you know, there's 30 of us, and, you know... And I think I was the worship leader at the time, so I'm I'm leading worship and then and then you'd hear them, they'd come late, so you'd hear the bikes approaching. <laughs> you could visibly see everybody in the church just freezing up. <laughs> they'd be grabbing their stuff, you know. <laughs> and you know, they all rev up before they shut down, right? So it's like <laughs> they're out in the parking lot and you know, we're like, how great is the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> And then the doors would open, and these guys would come through, leather jackets, big boots, chains, knives. Every one of them looked like they'd been in a brawl a hundred times, slashed faces, guys gouged. I mean, it was just pretty intense. And everybody would just go like this, and they would walk in and sit in the back row of the church, and everybody would just kind of lean away from them. It was, a, it was like a physical thing. You know why? Why? because we said, these guys are dangerous. You know, my wife's like, are they gonna kill us, honey? <laughs> I went, no, I don't know. <laughs> we're doing this for Jesus, honey, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, it's not a direct correlation with clean and unclean, you know. but to us, yeah, to us, they're social outcasts, dangerous people, and we're threatened by them, right? That's the way it was in this town the day the lepers showed up. People are backing away. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus just looks at him. He walks up to Jesus. He says, Jesus, if you're willing, I know you're able to make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. I am willing. And here's the great act of Jesus. Jesus stretches out his hand. He didn't have to. He could have just... Spoken the word and he would have been healed. But Jesus stretches out his hand across what I imagine as a no-man's land. Barbed wire, sirens, attack dogs, you know, keeping the distance. And Jesus just reaches out his hand and he touches this man and the man is cleansed. That's dramatic. That's dramatic. Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Go to the priest. Offer the offering for your cleansing but word got out. They couldn't contain the word. More and more people are showing up. Why? Because if Jesus is willing to touch that kind of a person, that leper, what might he do in my life? You know, the Gospel of Luke is a well-ordered, well-structured writing. We remember in the last episode that Christ called Peter and said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. That's awesome. So what kind of men and women will we be fishing for, Jesus? Do you think it's an accident that the very first story is the story of the most feared person in the society? Who will we be fishing for? Jesus says, well, let's start with this leper. Let's start with this guy. Here's the power of Christ and the glory of the gospel, Jesus crosses every boundary. He reaches across every boundary to touch hurting, needy lives with the power of his life-transforming grace. Isn't that beautiful? So about a year later, Rojo died in a suspicious accident. And I was asked to speak at the funeral the graveside funeral. And I was told that the whole gang would come and maybe rival gangs would be there as well. And so, not really understanding the nature of these things, I went and brought my wife, which is really dumb. (laughs) And we went out there and there's nobody there. I'm like, "What's, what's going on? I said to the funeral guy, what's going on? He says, oh, well, they always come late. And he says, we're surrounded right now by sheriffs. They're in the hills all around us with high-powered weapons. I'm like, well, why? <laughs> oh, he says, haven't you heard? These events can get violent, <laughs> you know. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I heard, when we're coming down the road, you know. And it's like a 100 of them coming down, and they have, you know, their weapons on them and hold them. They get off and they rev up. They're all circled the grave. Now I've been freaking out in general. Now I'm really freaking out because I kept praying. I'm like, Lord, what do you say to the gypsy jokers? Like, what what am I supposed to say to these guys? You know? I mean, I got a lot of gospel messages, but what am I supposed to say to these guys? And you know what? I felt like God, and, and it was really weird because... Now, this is a true story. I felt like God said, I'll tell you when you get there. I'll tell you when you get there. I'll tell you when you get there. And I kept waiting. And so I'm there, like, I'm here. Let's like you know. And I felt like God showed me right at that moment. And, and God said, in effect, you've got to step across the barrier. You know what the problem is? The problem is you see them and it's a different category than yourself. That's the problem. You're looking at them. You're looking down on them. You're looking across at them. You've got to reach across that barrier. There actually is no barrier. You're both on the same side of the barrier, you know? And I said, I want you to change your perspective, and I want you to explain to them the radical love and grace of Christ. And it was like a switch that went off in my head, and I was able to share with that whole group at the graveside the love and the grace of Jesus. And by the mercy of God, there were two people in that crowd that responded and said, we want to receive Christ as Lord. And it was an amazing, amazing moment. And after I did all that, they went through their little ritual, which means they went and opened the casket, and the mangled body was in there, and they each had a, beer and pour, a sip and poured the rest of the beer in the casket until they kind of floated this body in beer, and then they made their children kiss the face of the corpse. Speaking of clean and unclean, I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah, that happened, right? It's amazing. The Lord calls Peter and says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Well, who shall we fish for, Lord? Jesus says, well, let's start with this leper. Let's start with the person that you're most afraid of. Let's start with the situation that's most alarming to you, and you'll see the power of my grace. Oh, they're just watching Jesus. They're just amazed at what's happening. And more and more people are coming. Story number two, the paralytic is healed. Verse 17, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Well, wait, where did all these guys come from? <laughs> you have Pharisees and scribes, all these religious leaders, and they've come from where? Everywhere, every village, from Jerusalem, from the temple, They're from everywhere. Why? Well, Jesus sent the leper to the priest to say, Jesus healed me. Well, how did he do that? He reached across and he touched me. What? And they're like, we got to check this out. What's this guy doing? What in the world is this guy doing? So now all the critics are there. I want you to think about the drama. Behold, the drama of this scene, because it's intense. In verse 18, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. They were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew their thoughts and said, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, that's his title for himself, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who's paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home, and immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And watch this. Amazement seized them all. They glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Oh, there's that verb of seeing again. It's what we see. What do we see? What do you see? Okay, let me ask you a question. What do you see? When you read this passage, what what do you see? Do you see the drama? Do you feel the drama? Who's there? Who's in the room? Pharisees and scribes? Just one? No. There's a contingent, man. They're from every corner of Israel. They're there. Probably have the best seats in the house. Who's there? Disciples, for sure, right? They're there taking notes. Like, so this is how you do it, you know. Who's there? Oh, there's a crowd there. There's there's so many people they can't even get in the door. Who else is there? Well, there's this guy who's paralyzed on a mat, and his buddies are bringing him in faith and in hope that Jesus will do a miracle. And And then they have to open up the roof, and they lower him down in the midst. Can you feel the drama of this moment? Like, can you just imagine? Like everybody, I'm sure everybody just just kind of stopped and just watched as the guys lowered down in front of him, And then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And, and really all hell broke loose at that moment. That's so the first moment where we begin to see the Pharisees and the scribes, they're going to kill Jesus. They're going to kill him for this. This story is connected to the one before it and after it. They all have a common theme. But this story is the theological center of the three. It's the theological center. It's the longer of the three. And it tells us, it sort of gives us the interpretive clue to all three of them. Why? Because Jesus uses the physical need, the visible need, to point beyond it to the spiritual need in this man's life. Jesus, as he does in so many of his miracles, is using what we can see to point to what we cannot see. And what we cannot see is that this man is a sinner who needs the forgiveness of God. Jesus is going to point that out. The epicenter of this story and the theology of all these stories is this. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, he has the authority to forgive sins. The authority to forgive. Isn't that amazing? Now, a lot of us sitting in this room, we hear that, and we're not as amazed as they were. They're just blown away by this, but we're not so amazed. And there's two reasons why. One is because we're not so sure that sin is a real thing. And number two, even if it is, isn't that God's job? You know, isn't that what he does? Like, he forgives, and and we get on with other things. We're more concerned about being healed. I want to be healed of my physical ailment. I want to be healed of the stuff that's broken in my life. That's our main concern. But Jesus says there's a greater need in our life, and there's a greater problem in our life than our suffering, and that's our sin. That's really what's being said. In this passage, but so many people are like, Well, I don't like that word sin. I'm so uncomfortable with that concept. And I'm told the younger generation is especially sensitive to the word sin. So let's talk about it for a minute, shall we? (laughs) Let's just think about that for a minute. Sin is a uniquely human category. I'm pausing for effect. Sin is a uniquely human category. Animals do not sin. My dog does not sin. My dog just does dog stuff. I sit in my office. I'm not paying attention. Fifteen minutes later, I look down and I go, what did you chew to pieces right in front of me? And I didn't even see it. And the dog has taken one of my things from my office and he just chewed the thing to pieces. Is the dog concerned? Not at all. Not at all. He's just going, sorry, it's kind of what I do. That's <laughs> what dogs do. Then he goes in the next room and he goes to the bathroom on the floor. <laughs> Talking about clean and unclean. And I'm like, what did you do? is a dog concerned? Not really. He just does dog things, right? So he's a bad dog, but he's not a sinner. There's a big difference. I have a friend named Carl Schieffer and he had two Boston Terriers. And I love this because every time I visited him, he'd look at these Boston Terriers. You know what a Boston Terrier is? A little dog, big eyes, big ears, you know. He'd look at them and say, look at those little sinners. (laughs) (laughs) Crack me up. Look at them. They'd be trembling, you know. Look at those sinners. Totally depraved, he would say to me. Unfortunately, one of them had a little curved spine and a stray eye so it would walk in a circle sort of against the stray eye the, the curve went this way and the eye went that way and he'd go look at that sinner <laughs> he'd pick the dog up and and put it in my face and say look into the eyes the eyes are the window to the soul <laughs> <It's> a... <laughs> It's great fun. We had great fun with the Boston Terriers, the little sinners. <laughs> but they're not sinners. It's a category error. It's a category error. Dogs can't be sinners. They can just be bad dogs, but they can't be sinners. Why? Because sin is a uniquely human construct, concept, category. Here's the reason why. What if you are created in the image of God in order to be something? In order to do something, in order to reflect the character of God himself in your life, in your heart, in your attitudes, in your actions, in your deeds, what if that's actually the purpose of your life? Your purpose is to do not dog things, but to do human things. It's actually to do God things in your life. Isn't that the story of the Bible? Isn't that what the Bible's all about? You are created in the image of God. God has a purpose for your life. God has this amazing picture of how you're supposed to reflect who he is, you see. Sin is sort of the counterpoint to that reality. The flip side of the issue of sin is the issue of who you're actually created to be. Who are you created to be? When you talk about rules, some people say, well, sin, you just break the rules. But I don't even know if I like those rules. Are those rules legitimate? You know, and we, so we start talking about sin as if it's about rule keeping. But you know, the Ten Commandments and any of the rules that are in the Bible, that the reason that they're there is actually to help guide us into the path of fulfilling our calling to be men and women who live in the image of God. That's what it is. And when we fall short of that, the Bible says that's sin. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of, what, the glory of God. Well, why would it put those two ideas together? And the idea is because you as a man or woman made in the image of God, you're calling us to reflect the glory of God. And when we don't do that, that's sin, you see. Is that a problem? Oh, yeah, it is. Now you can begin to understand why the gospel of Luke has so much focus on the issue of salvation and its salvation from sin. Do you know that from the beginning of the gospel? Let's take a look at it. If you go back to chapter 1, in the song of Zechariah, as he speaks of the birth of John the Baptist, he says in 176, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, here it is, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. In the forgiveness of their sins. Well, there it is. And it says, because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Can you see that salvation is holistic? So it's forgiveness from sins, and the word forgive means to release. So you're released from the guilt, you're released from the shame, you're released from the past, but it doesn't end there. It's to guide our feet into the way of peace or wholeness. Being the person that you're called to be, Jesus has the authority to do that. Pastor Adam taught us about power and authority, the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. Marvelous, right? Jesus has the power and the authority to release us from the guilt of our sin and to restore us to the image of God in us to who we're called to be. That's what salvation is. And Jesus has the authority to do that, and not just the authority, he's willing. Lord, if you're willing, you can do this. Jesus said, I am willing. He's willing, he's powerful, he has the right, and that's what he's come to do. Now the people heard this news, they saw this happen, and you know what? The Bible says they were ecstatic. The word ecstasy is actually in the Greek. It was pure ecstasy to them. This is amazing. This is so awesome. What is it to you? These stories are not history lessons. They're for us. Like, what do we hear? What do we see in the story? What does this mean to you and I? Story number three, the calling of Levi. Here's the way it goes. In verse 27, now after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Tax collectors, good guys or bad guys? I'm not talking current, I'm talking old. Okay, bad guys, right? I mean, bad guys. It even says so, it even equates them with sinners, because there's a thread through all this, and the thread is sin. And so, he goes to the tax collector, and he, he sees him sitting in the tax booth, and he says, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And then Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And here's such a highlight moment. Jesus answered and said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance." Isn't that amazing? It's so beautiful. Three stories. No, four. Four, why would I say that? There's another story about a sinner. Who is that sinner in chapter five? It's Peter. Remember from last week? Peter. Jesus says, cast out in the deep, throw your nets over. Peter's like, yeah, whatever, I'll do it, Lord, if you want me to. And they catch all those fish, and Peter says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I think that Peter was thinking, if he can see those fish, he can see in my heart. He knows I'm a sinful man. Who's a sinner in chapter 5? Well, pretty much everybody, except for Jesus. Peter. Peter knows he's a sinner. The leper, well, his whole life is sort of a symbol of sin and death. The paralytic, Jesus pronounced forgiveness of his sins. Levi, him and his buddies, they're a bunch of sinners, right? Isn't it interesting? Who will we fish for, Lord? Fear not, you'll become fishers in a minute. Well, who are we going to fish for? You're going to fish for sinners, people just like you just like you. There's no barrier. You're all in the same boat, every one of you. We're all in the same boat. And you know what? There's one Savior for all who's who's great enough for all. It's an amazing picture of Jesus and the power of the gospel. But this story is for us, right? You don't have to be a leper to know that you have a problem. I mean, what do you see? When you see the Gypsy Jokers, what do you see? What do you see when you look in the mirror in the morning? What do you see? What do you see when you open your Bible and and you look at Jesus? What do you see? If you're seeing through gospel glasses, you'll see the glory of Christ and the power of the gospel to touch lives, to cross barriers, to bring grace when it's needed, cleansing from shame, connecting people back into real community, releasing people from the guilt and shame of their sin and restoring them into new life. And you'll say, that's exciting. That's so exciting. And I want in on that. And so, this morning we're going to come the table. Have the worship team come back up here. I'm going to come to the table and I want you to think for a minute about coming to the Lord's table. You know, when we come to the Lord's table, we're coming to the remembrance of his sacrifice on the cross. The bread represents his body given for us and the cup represents his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. But I, I just want you to, let's use the eyes of our heart and our mind to see past the symbols. And when you come to the table, will you come to Jesus this morning? Come to Jesus. The leper came to Jesus. He said, I'm desperate. I've got to come to Jesus. But people are going to be mad at me. People are going to think I'm nuts. It doesn't matter. I've got to come to Jesus. The friends of the paralytic, they said, we've got to come to Jesus. We have no other hope. There's no other way. We just believe Jesus will do something if we show up. Come to Jesus. We come in desperation. We come in humility. We come in hope. We come in faith. We come in trust to Jesus. When you come to the table, would you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, speak your word to my heart this morning.